I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. And today, I am very pleased to have a special guest on the podcast, Nick Tassler. Let me begin by giving him a proper introduction. Nick Tassler is an organizational psychologist and the best-selling author of four books. Two of them are on decision-making and two of them are on leading, managing, and working through change. All are completely relevant to the challenges that we've been dealing with for the past few years. He's also a keynote speaker and consultant with a client list that would knock your socks off. In addition to speaking, writing, and consulting, Nick is an incredibly engaged father and spouse and world traveler. Nick and I first met seven or eight years ago at a small gathering with some other speakers and thought leaders, and our paths just keep crossing. We found ourselves speaking at the same events, at professional development conferences for our own education and so forth. Nick is also a friend, and I am delighted to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Nick. Well, thank you, Janelle, and I am delighted to be on the podcast. Excellent. So where in the world are you right now? At the moment, I am in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Uh, which is, of course, in Puerto Rico on the, the south side of the island for anybody who knows or cares. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, I wanted to start by asking a question that I get asked a lot about decision making, and it's about decision fatigue. Is decision mm-hmm. fatigue a real thing or is that a myth? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's a real thing, and I think we have quite a bit of empirical evidence to to say it it is it is indeed a real thing. And I think evidence aside, if we just look at our own experience, uh, I think we can find you know we can find proof for it. You know, I like to in a, the most basic level because it's uh, what November 22nd or so, right? And so we've got the holiday shopping season coming up here. And a common phenomenon is after you spend an afternoon at the mall, uh, all of a sudden your, your, your great diet plans, right? You're, you're strict. I, I'm only going to eat salad and whatever else. Um, all of a sudden, the, the smell of Cinnabon becomes irresistible. After you spend a whole afternoon at the mall trying to decide on, can I get a better deal on these uh, uh, this these socks here or um, this toy there? And you're constantly making decisions, shopping decisions, which should be completely irrelevant or unrelated to dietary decisions, but our brain doesn't distinguish. A decision is a decision. It creates a, um, a burden on our cognitive capacity. And so we make so many decisions that Eventually, we get fatigued, and it kind of burns our willpower down. Um, and so I think, you know, on a, the personal experience, I think we can all think of examples like that. A hard day at work where you're having to make tons of decisions. 
um, can sort of wear down your mental capacity. So when you come home, either you just want to take a nap or maybe sometimes, uh, you know, you have trouble controlling your emotions and your frustrations um, with the family and whatnot. So uh, it is a real thing. And how it manifests for us, I think, is different. Some people maybe, um, you know, will fly off the handle a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of research to, to say that people tend to be more risk averse um, after making a bunch of decisions. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we feel like we can conquer the world uh, at 9 a.m., um, but at 4 p.m., uh, all of a sudden, we, we feel like everything's caving in on us and, and we just want to like, like hide away and, and play it safe in every aspect of our life, right? And next morning, the cycle starts all over again. Decision fatigue, I think, is a good source for that. So if decision fatigue is a real thing, then what strategies would you suggest for people who have to make a bunch of decisions at work? Like, should we try to front load the day with those decisions first thing in the morning? Would that help? Or do you have any other hacks that could yeah. help with that? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Janelle. And and I I think also, so let's let's start with the um, like you said, front loading the day. Okay. So I think that works. And that works for, I would say, most of us. There is another part of this that I I think we um, so you know, I'm I'm a I'm an industrial psychologist, right? And I I cut my teeth studying personality and individual differences, right? And so everything I say kind of has this asterisk of um, but you have to take into consideration what is your personality, what is, and in this case, what are your natural biorhythms? So, for example, if you are a morning person, absolutely, you should front load your day um, with the, the biggest, most impactful decisions in the morning. And you probably shouldn't make important decisions in the late afternoon and certainly not in the evening. Um, my wife and I are both morning people. So we just know that if we have a say a schooling decision for our kids or a, a moving decision, even a vacation decision. We just don't talk about it at night because all that's going to happen is we're going to fight. We're going to get frustrated. And so let's just talk about it in the morning where everything looks different. If you're a night person, um, you might want to totally flip that around, right? Uh, maybe you actually gather steam as the day goes on. But I think for most of us, uh, front loading the day is a good thing. Another thing you can do is, is leverage uh, uh, what some psychologists call pre-decisions, okay? And a uh, pre-decision is just, you know, we don't have to, re for many of the decisions we make every day, and depending on how you define a decision, um, you know, some would say we, we make an average of 70 decisions a day. For those in leadership positions, uh, it tends to be closer to 110, 115 decisions a day. That's a uh, lot. Yeah, it is a lot. That is a lot. You know, and then, and then it's like, you know, is 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 um, uh, is is getting out of bed in the morning a decision or is that a conscious habit? Like you can you can you can cut this in many different ways. But for the most part, a conscious decision somewhere between 70 and 110 a day. Right. A lot of those decisions can be pre decisions. So what I mean by that is like you don't have to reinvent the wheel every day. And let me give you a couple of uh, real basic examples for that. So, you know, the whole notion of, of Einstein having a whole closet full of the exact same clothes, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs wearing yep. the, the, the same uniform every day with the black mock turtleneck, 
right? So it's, that's more than branding, right? Einstein wasn't doing it for branding purposes. He was doing it because that was one less decision he had to make every day, right? And we can all kind of do that. I do that often. I have like, you know, I have a, a black t-shirt. And when I speak, um, you, for example, I wear basically the same thing every time. I might have little shades of difference, but it's essentially the same outfit, right? Um, and so that's just one easy way to do it. The other thing is, is you can say like, like, for example, wearing a seatbelt is a pre-decision. So it's like, we made one decision once that every time I sit in the car, I wear a seatbelt. So I don't have to waste any um, of my cognitive capacity. I don't have to increase any cognitive load on every time I get in a car, do I put on a seatbelt or do I not put on a seatbelt? What you order at the coffee shop, like all these kind of routine things, um, you can minimize the, the cognitive load and the decision fatigue by making as many of these as possible one time and be one and done. That's just what you do every time because it's not that important, right? So like the person who eats the exact same thing for breakfast every day, it's a pre-decision, yeah. it's done. And then they're starting the day with one less decision to make. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I, this, those are like really simple, but really powerful ways to minimize the decision fatigue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. All right. So you talked about personality and individual differences and how they play into this. So let me ask you a, a question that came up as I was reading your book, Why Quitters Win, uh, Decide to Be Excellent. And this book, if you're not familiar with it, is really, it, it chronicles the importance of uh, doubling down on what you're best at and really letting go of things that maybe are not in your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. And in this book, you talk about a decision pulse. And so an organization has this decision pulse and even individuals have this decision pulse, which is driven by our values and the velocity at which we need to do things and so forth. And you can certainly add to the, that. I'm, try, I'm trying oh, to encapsulate. encapsulate I'm taking notes here. <laughs> decision pulse in order to get to my question. So my question is, as you talk about the values that really undergird people's personality and and um, individual differences, you give this great wheel that shows these eight values. And what do you do when somebody that you need to make a decision with is like diametrically opposed to where you are on this values wheel? And so I'll just take, for example, because maybe it's a little bit relevant to me, freedom on one side, diametrically opposed with security on the other. Mm -hmm. And and so are we talking about- How do you go through making a decision when you have to make a decision with somebody else, whether that's a team member, a spouse, your boss, whomever, who has a different set of values driving that decision? Yeah, it's it's. So I would say the the first thing to do is is be aware of it, like like get it on the table, be transparent about this is what I value most, and what is it that you value most, right? And just just simply that understanding can go a long way. So Janelle, I know you talk a lot about. Um, communications, right? And and so you can you can speak probably more intelligently about this than I can. Uh, when you're making a decision with another person or a plan or anything, really, so much of it comes down to the the communication aspect. Is do are we aware of the cards that each other are holding? Right? Are we clear about? Do I understand what motivates you rather than just assuming that what motivates me motivates you? Because it's not it's that's not always the case, you know. I'll give you a, an example for um, uh, for me personally. So that that wheel, right? Um, for me, it is freedom. 
Okay. That is my, my number one thing. And I am willing to sacrifice a lot of things to preserve my freedom. My wife, on the other hand, for her, it is relationships. Okay. That is her number one thing. And so for, I'd say for the first few years of our relationship while we were dating, even when we got married, the number one source of our uh, conflict was those two things coming into conflict with each other. Um, you know, for example, uh, she would, it was very important for her to have these, uh, to maintain these tight, intimate relationships with many, many people, many, many of her friends. Okay. And I, you know, perhaps somewhat selfishly um, was like, no, no, I should come before them. Right. And what I didn't understand is that for her, it is vitally important um, that, that she maintains these intimate relationships with all these different people. And uh, what she didn't understand about me is it's vitally important that, that I have the freedom to, to, to think about what I want to think about and, and not have my time be overscheduled so that we're constantly building relationships. I don't want to do that, right? And um, so what happened is ultimately... We had when, when we discovered this about each other, it it opened the door for compromise, right? So I understood, okay, I get where this is coming from now. It's not that you're ignoring what's important to me. It's just super important to you and vice versa, right? And, and so just that understanding can sort of open the door to compromise in a way that before, you know, it was that door was kind of closed. When you put that in a business context, um, one of the big uh, sources of conflict. So then let's talk about freedom relationships. That can matter too, but it can also just be like risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. So you've got one person who is what I call in, a, in another book, in my first book, a potential seeker, and the other person who is a risk manager. We're both looking at the exact same decision, at the exact same criteria. The difference is the potential seeker is paying much more attention to the possible gain of each options. The risk manager is paying attention to what is the, the risk quotient. The, the downside of each of the, of the options. options. Ah. We're both looking at, at, at the exact same criteria, but we're looking at a different half of the criteria. And yeah. just understanding that it's like, so we don't default to these overly simplistic, you're just being irrational. I don't understand how you can't see this. And it's because they see it. They just pay more attention to another aspect of it that I pay less attention to. Yeah. Uh, now, that doesn't always mean that you're going to end up skipping through the meadow in, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, in, sunshine and butterflies. And yeah, yeah, right, right. Like there still could be conflict and tension, but at least we understand where each other are coming from. Well, uh, and and that reminds me of, of a concept that I call agreement inside of disagreement, because when we can start discussing a difficult topic, whether that's going to lead to a decision or something else from a place of agreeing with each other, then it takes some of that tension out of things. And it reminded your, your, your story about you and your wife reminded me of a story about my husband and I, this goes back about 10 years or so where we have this difficult financial decision to make. It was partly financial and, um, and we come at things very different. Like you, I am strong on freedom. That is my number one value. And he is diametrically across that <laughs> circle uh -huh. from me on security and has a much different risk tolerance than I do. And I could just feel the tension rising. I feel us going in completely different directions. And so I said, as we move through this, 
we're going to have to agree to honor each other's perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I said, my, I, I said, you, you want to circle the wagons and count the beans. <laughs> yeah, he was like, know. damn right. And I want to go fishing. Yeah. I want to go yeah. see what else is out there. Uh-huh. And he, he was like, yeah, I guess that is what you do. And uh-huh. I said, okay, as we move through this, because this wasn't something that was going to be like a once and done five minute conversation. This right. was something that was going to take weeks, if not months to, to move through. And so I said, if in order for us to get through this and preserve our relationship, we are both going to have to honor that we come at it from very different perspectives and that they're both valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I like the way you position that it's, it's, it sounds to me like it's taking it one step further than agree to disagree. It's, it's, agree to honor the, the right the i call it I, in fact i call it agreement inside of disagreement because yeah, i think i like when you say, oh, i guess we just agree to disagree that's very i don't know it's <laughs> just very and, yeah 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 it doesn't leave a good space for having the next conversation that comes after that <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's it's a nice way of saying you're wrong and i'm tired of this conversation <laughs> exactly <right? laughs> uh but yeah so uh so you know it's it's like like i said dude to, to circle back, it's 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 honoring and and before you can honor what the other person is thinking of, it's it's um uh, it's clarifying and <laughs> and I think in some cases, you know, we don't always know, and that that's what's powerful about the decision pulse idea is um, so the reason where that all came from is there's lots of uh, materials out there, exercises, books. Um, you know, life coaching advice or whatever that's like clarify your values. And the, the problem is, um, and let me rephrase that. It's not that that's a problem to clarify your values, but it's that in in a perfect world, we all value all of those things. We all want to have success and health and and good relationships and and it's and like that's normal, right? The where it becomes challenging is what happens when success and health come in conflict with each other? What happens when freedom and relationships come in conflict with each other? So we can list our values and we want to all be, you know, live a life of integrity and pursue our dreams and, and have safety and security for our long term. And of course, we would love to have all that. But in the real world, those things often come in conflict with each other. And when they do, how do we resolve that? Right. And that's where the decision pulse idea came from is, is in a, in a scenario where you don't have to pick great, then serve all the masters. Um, But in the scenarios where you do have to pick, it's important that you get clear on what's really at the core uh, of, of your, your soul, right? Like what really, if this is taken away from you, you are going to be miserable. Okay. Start there. And and take everything else away first, right? <laughs> Be willing to make sacrifices, but but not there, right? Yeah. Uh, until you absolutely have to. That's great advice. Great advice, and I think a really useful metric to to think about as you're going through something where you've got people who have different values. Yeah, and I, and I think for um, to bring it back to a business example, like uh, you mentioned earlier, and I not heard this, you know, you stay inside your zone of genius, right? It's the the business application of this would be, you know, is your bit, are you clear about what it is more than anything else that your customers come to you for, right? What is it that you 
bring to the table that is um, that is exceptional, uh, not just good, but exceptional, right? And then are you starting from there with all your strategic decisions, all your planning decisions? Now, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing you have to do or can do, right? You, you know, it's like, um, is your thing that, that you provide the absolute best customer service? Is it that you have the very best product, like the highest quality? And, um, you know, ideally you'd like to have both of those things and you should aspire to have both of those things. But you need to know when push comes to shove between me and, and the other people that my customers can choose, what is the main reason they choose me? Right. Yeah. And, and that that's that's your launch pad. Right. Yeah. Well, and we can even zero in on not just an organization of the whole, but an individual within that organization. Let's say I'm an accountant um, mm -hmm. and there's several accountants that are or uh, I'm on the finance team and there's several different people who serve a business unit on the finance team. But everybody certain people come to me. And why uh -huh. do they come to me? What is it about how I deliver the finance services and the balance sheet and the profit and loss statement or whatever it is they're coming to me from? Why how, Why do they come to me and how can I really double down on delivering exactly what they want from me? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, you know, it reminds me of uh, a little while ago, I was, I was speaking to the leadership of this um, uh, uh, law firm, a mid-sized law firm. They kind of operate in in six or seven different states, and and so it's a it's a big law firm. Um, and anyway, and the big strategic debate was like some of the people believe that their decision pulse was, you know, that we're we're good lawyers. Um, the pushback to that was, so your your competitors aren't good lawyers, right? <laughs> so <laughs> right, you know, it's, it's like okay, wait a second, we maybe we need to dig a little deeper into the the equation here right and so it's not just as their their words not mine um good lawyering isn't isn't enough right that's that's table stakes we we need to be solid we need to give solid legal advice but what really separates us and ladies they were they were a mid-sized law firm say from from the big ones or you know like the really high dollar ones or whatever is not good lawyering it's our responsiveness right mm -hmm. is that we will always be there to answer the phone, to take, um, uh, to address your issues. You can trust us that we will always be at your side, right? Um, now, of course, we need to be at your side with good sound advice, but that alone is not our differentiator, right? Yeah. And just having that kind of clarity led to a whole bunch of other decisions that they could make. It's you know, like the one that they use was, it's Friday afternoon, you've got a, a case briefing, or um, that you you want to get done, or you've got a, a client that calls you. Which do you spend your time on Friday afternoon? Right? And it's like, if good lawyering is our thing, you finish the case briefing. If being responsive to customers, to our clients is what, then you answer that call and you figure out how to do the briefing at another time, right? Yeah. And, and that's how it can trickle down to a team um, and create aligned decisions and aligned movement of the organization. Excellent. And just getting that specific about yes. what it is that you do so well and getting everybody behind that can really make a huge difference. Yeah. And then, and then what does that look like at 10.04 on a Tuesday morning? Yeah. Right. Then it's like yeah. taking that down out of the abstract to you have these three emails in your inbox. Which one do you reply to first? Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. that's when it really clicks for people. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. 
Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. All right, well, let's shift gears to talk about what you've been working on recently. This past, uh, these past months, you've been talking about your year of wonders. Tell us about your year of wonders. How do, what, what is it and how do we use it? Yeah, so it's basically this idea that we can use the, the changes around us to unleash growth inside us. And that can be inside us as individual people, inside us as the organization inside us as a team. Um, and really what it's based on is kind of this different brain science uh, from, from a lot of different areas that, that I, I pulled from to arrive at this conclusion that change is not something that just has to be managed or tolerated, um, but it can actually be this, this catalyst for, for growth. And then because of the way our brain deals with change and you know, I'd say the big epiphany here is discomfort can actually be the 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 father or the the mother of of wonder and and inspiration, right? And so we often think of inspiration and wonder as the kind of thing that has to happen um, on a vacation, you know, on a on a mountaintop. I need and, to go on a personal retreat in order to have. Yeah, that. right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, oh, so you're saying I don't, that means I'm going to have to change some plans. <laughs> well, I won't tell your husband that you don't have to write, but, um, um, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's this idea that just cause we're uncomfortable, um, that actually can be setting the table, uh, for this, this wondrous experience. And, and the trick of it is we might not know that it's a wondrous experience until we look back in hindsight on it. Right. And that's where this whole notion comes from. And the actual phrase year of wonders is something that Isaac Newton um, used uh, way back when. So when, when his career as, a, as this renowned physicist scientist really kicked off, it was actually during uh, this huge plague outbreak um, in 1665. Right, and right. That's when he planted the seeds for for the, the theory of gravity. Um, that's when he had his famous falling apple moment. Mm -hmm. uh, he also uh, invented calculus that year. He revolutionized the telescope that year. And all of this that he looked back on later, he, he said that was for the rest of his life. He called that my year of wonders. And I think it's fascinating that the, the exact same time period Everybody else in the world, including historians to this day, still refer to as the Great Plague, capital G, capital P, Great Plague, Isaac Newton called his year of wonders. And isn't that fascinating as we, as we work our way out of a pandemic? Um, what did we discover 
in the last couple of years? What are we going to discover in our next period of change that we're going to look back and be like, you know, that was pretty wondrous. Um, what seeds have been planted? And it's it's exciting because like a seed that's planted, we don't know until it's harvest time. We don't know which shoots are going to grow. But if we just simply uh, accept and acknowledge that right now there are seeds being planted in spite of my frustration, in spite of my discomfort, there are seeds that are planted, being planted right now that might shape my legacy, that might be the thing that, that, that produces uh, my greatest impact on the world. Oh, I love that. I love that. In fact, it reminds me of uh, just last week, I was at an event where I was doing the keynote the following morning, but I went to the client's social event the night before because I wanted to get to know the people who were there and find out what was going on with them. And I asked a few people, like, what was one thing that would have never happened had the pandemic not come along? What was one thing for you? And this guy told me like his, it was really early in the pandemic and one of his children was turning like 10 And of course they couldn't have a traditional birthday party and they would have gone to, you know, a trampoline park or a climbing gym or something. And so he told me about how he built this really elaborate obstacle course in their backyard and how amazing it was and how they used it for months afterwards and how he would have never poured his heart and soul into creating this experience for his child, for his birthday, had it not been for the pandemic. And then their family used it like all summer long. Right. So it's like those kinds of moments that just really um, are wondrous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that and that is the I, I think there's something powerful about that word wonder is, is you know, it's like um, it, because it connotes curiosity, it connotes uh, creativity, um, inspiration. And it's kind of all rolled into this just sort of like slack jawed. Amazement. Yeah. Oh yeah. Amazement. Amazement in there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I just, it's been really fun to watch audiences uh, respond to that because particularly now in just the last six months or so, there's a lot of my audiences that the the pandemic, they're almost the pandemic produced for their business because of the industry that they happen to be in. And it's a bunch of different industries, almost an embarrassment of riches. You know, so it's like there were some industries that were just crushed, you know. Um, right. So I'll talk to healthcare groups that this was this was significant and not in a good way. Right. Mm-hmm. And not in a not in a, um, you know, it was traumatic for a lot yeah, of yeah. healthcare workers. Right. But then you have these other industries where it's like the biggest trauma is uh, for them was they were so busy making money that they did they like were overwhelmed by how much profit they were making and how much red like and they and they don't even want to say it because they're like we're not trying to profiteer it's just what we had is what the world needed in spades at that time right and there's some survivor guilt that goes along with that absolutely so you've got this weird emotional cocktail um addressing these people and and what's interesting is the the year of wonders idea has been able to speak to to both groups, right? Um, like, oh, okay, so I like good has come out of this. Good can still come out of this. Good still will come out of this. And I I think most of us recognize that um, this one thing I asked the audience to to think about is to think about a past experience, um, a uh, an achievement that you're really proud of. And in every single one of those cases, if if we were to go back in time, 
we would find that that achievement was immediately preceded by a period of chaos and frustration and change. And because that's that's how growth happens, right? Yeah. The growth that produced that great achievement began because something knocked you out of your comfort zone, right? And it forced you to do something differently, which then weeks, months, years later, led you down this different path to this great achievement. Um, and so just knowing that that's coming and we can't see exactly what it's going to be yet, uh, it, it, it restores hope really is what it, it does. It really does. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like no matter what kind of crazy mess you find yourself in to just remember that there is the, I will get to the other side of this and yeah. some amazing things might come out of this. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'll get to the other side stronger and wiser mm -hmm. than I was on, on the, on the starting side. Definitely. Oh, oh, what a great way to end our yeah. time together this morning. Now, if people want to follow up on your work, where should they go to find more about what you do? Well, the home for all things Nick Tassler is nicktassler.com. And from there, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, that's another great place to, to start and or Instagram. And that's mostly where I consolidate my social media presence. So, uh, All right. We'll link those up in the show notes and so make it easy for you to find. Perfect. Or I should say be found, not to find. <laughs> be found. I know where you are. I don't have to find <laughs> All right, Nick, thank you very much. And uh, enjoy the next, the, the rest of the holiday season that's coming up right after this. And I look forward to the time when our paths cross next in, in person. Awesome. Thanks, Janelle. It's great being here. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations. <laughs>